Hey, I want to thank you for tuning in to Press On. I pray that this podcast encourages you, enriches you, and inspires you to press on towards the cause of Christ. Why don't you visit me over at AaronRios.com and consider partnering with me so we can push this ministry forward. Pick out your favorite podcast, share it on social media, visit me at Apple or Google, write a quick review. Let's get this podcast out there. Let's get the hope of the gospel to as many listeners as possible. Welcome to Press On with Aaron Rios, lead pastor of Garden City Church, located in Beverly, Massachusetts. We pray that you are enriched, challenged, and inspired to press on towards the cause of Christ. I want to ask you a question. How bad do you want it? How badly do you want it? How badly do you want to see God inject himself into the circumstance or situation that perhaps you have found yourself in. I wonder if you're driven. I wonder if you would push through the crowd at the chance of a miracle. I'm gonna be reading today out of Mark chapter five, beginning with verse 25. It says, and a woman who had had a hemorrhage for 12 years and had endured much at the hands of many physicians and had spent all that she had and was not helped at all, but rather had grown worse after hearing about Jesus came up in the crowd behind him and touched his cloak. For she thought, if I just touch his garment, I shall get well. And immediately the flow of her blood was dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her affliction. And immediately Jesus, perceiving in himself that power proceeding from him had gone forth, turned around in the crowd and said, who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, you see the multitude pressing in on you and you say, who touched me? And he looked around to see the woman who had done this. But the woman, fearing and trembling, aware of what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. I've heard so many messages about the woman with the issue of blood. This, uh, this story appears in three of the four Gospels. But I personally, I'm just going to be transparent, have never preached on this or taught out of this, even though I have been deeply enriched, blessed, encouraged, motivated um, throughout the years, hearing different messages, various messages about this. But I personally have never taught out of it. The reason why? I realized in preparation and in study, I felt disqualified. I didn't feel like I could speak on this due to the nature of this woman's problem. And as I began to read through this and study, I recognized that culture often tells us that unless you're part of a particular uh, community, unless you have some type of relation, unless you've walked the mile in the shoes, then you too are disqualified. I think of the LGBTQ community, that because of a particular position, because of my faith, that I am disqualified to speak into that community and anything that I say was uh, could be received or perceived as possibly hate speech. I think of the pro-choice movement, my body, my choice, and how I have to sit down and be silent because I'm a man and I can't carry a child, so I'm disqualified to speak on the issues of abortion. Disqualification comes in many forms. It comes from social pressures on the outside telling you you're disqualified and you have no power or right to speak into a situation, or sometimes it's the person in the mirror stating I'm disqualified. Disqualification is a mindset 
to keep you bound up, to keep you tied up, to keep you silent and still. But we're a part of a kingdom that is loud. We are a part of a kingdom that is moving. We are a part of a kingdom that does not sit idly by while injustice reigns and rules over the land. We are a body, a community, bride of Christ, active in warfare, active to speak God's word. How often have you taken the position How often have you disqualified people? Maybe you said, you don't know my situation. You can't speak into it. You don't know my life. Perhaps it's sounded like this. Well, that person is not spiritual enough, godly enough. Maybe it sounded something like, well, you don't share my skin color. Therefore, you can't speak into my circumstance. I, I think we've all done our share of disqualifying others and disqualifying ourselves. But here's what I realized. You can speak. Here's what I realized. You are qualified. You can speak into any situation. It doesn't mean you have to be a drug addict to speak into the life of a drug addict. You don't have to be the pimp or the prostitute to speak into the life of a pimp or a prostitute. You don't have to be divorced in order to speak into the life of a divorcee. All you have to do is speak the truth because truth does not bow to feelings, facts, or discriminate. So you, I want to tell you that be empowered in Jesus' name. Speak not just your words. No, speak God's word. Speak truth. But often people don't want truth. They want their stories. This story that we find here in Mark is loaded with truth. It's loaded with the truth of the character and nature of Christ, as well as the character and the nature of an extraordinary woman who was seeking to plug into the proper source. I was thinking just a few weeks ago, as the summer heat is beginning to move into the New England area, we are getting our air conditioners ready to go. And our sanctuary is an old sanctuary, and uh, there's a variety of power plugs in the sanctuary that are at, uh, all connected to different breakers. And so an electrician in our church was helping me to locate the proper combination in order to be able to plug in six air conditioning units to keep our massive sanctuary cool. The way I was plugging them in, it was tripping the breaker, and so we needed to sort this out. We had the device that would answer the dilemma, which is extreme heat in our unair conditioned sanctuary. But in order to achieve the solution, I had to plug into the right, not just the power source, but the right combination of the power source. And eventually we were able to sort it out. And I think about that because often when we think of the story of the woman with the issue of blood, I've heard it presented something like this. This is the story of a woman who pushed through adversity to take hold of her miracle. And that's true. But I think it's far more than that. I think, and as I read this, this is what stood out to me. This is the story of a woman who pushed and pressed through adversity for the chance of a miracle. That's right. I said a chance. Now, it's always a guarantee when you get a hold of Jesus. But this is the story of a woman who had tried many things and didn't have the intimate knowledge of Christ that you and I now share because of the Bible. This is a woman in whom God's word says she heard about Jesus. That's right, she heard. Look, rarely do people really push and persevere to take hold of a miracle, let alone battle 
at the chance of a miracle. But I believe God is calling you and me to position ourselves for the possibility. Hear me. The possibility is key. Because when you give the opportunity for a possibility for God, he's always going to come through. He's never going to fail you. He's never going to leave you hanging. But rather, people seem to prefer remaining disqualified rather than pushing through the crowd to take a chance on a miracle. This is the story of an extraordinary woman that she needed to plug in to the proper power source. She tried different combinations in the past in order to get her air conditioning units resolved, in order to get her issue resolved, and every single one of them had led to defeat and failure and disappointment. But at the possibility of Jesus, she was willing to push, persevere, and press through the crowd to take a chance that perhaps Jesus would resolve her dilemma. I want to ask you again today, how badly do you want it? But maybe I should ask, what do you even want? What do you want? Have you identified the need in your life? Do you know what you want? And if you know what you want, what are you willing to do to take hold of your destiny in Christ. The story begins from a place of hopelessness. How do I know? Well, the Bible tells us she'd, she'd spent her money on doctors and physicians throughout the years, and now she's out of options. How good would it make you feel to know you were someone's second or third choice? Well, it looks like Jesus is this woman's last choice. Uh, if Jesus hadn't been able to deliver a solution, then Jesus would have just been an option among many as she would have continued to pursue a solution. But you know, what I've discovered is that God is often the last choice for many people and perhaps he's okay with it because it brings him glory for you and I to know that nothing else worked but him. Or perhaps it's a, a divine correction sometimes because maybe you were told that Jesus is the answer, but you're stubborn and you've been trying to live life on your own and do everything and anything else but surrender to Jesus. And when you finally get to the end of your rope, you realize that you could have been touching his garment from the beginning and have saved yourself 10 or 20 years of pain and frustration. But this is good news for those of you that have that family member or that child or that friend that you see them going through the hardship of life and how you wish they would just surrender to Jesus. But I want to tell you, often God lets you run to the end of your rope and run your bank account empty and run your resources dry so that he becomes the only thing and the only one who can meet you at your greatest point of need. However, this doesn't always mean that you wouldn't have tried Jesus. Maybe you need to deliver the message of Jesus. See, this story says when she heard of Jesus, she was willing to try him. So it might mean that for some people, they don't know where to look or the right opportunity hasn't yet presented itself. This is why we need churches that are passionately on fire. Oh, I'm sure you can have a revival service in your living room. I'm sure you could have altar calls in your secret and quiet place, but there are places and seasons where God moves more potently. For some reason, it seems to be that God moves most commonly and potently in community. What does that mean? You gotta get back to church. You've got to get back into community worship. You've got to get back into times of prayer. You've got to fill the sanctuary, fill the house with places of worship and praise. Oh, he can meet you. He can meet you in the midnight, in the secret place. But God often moves in community. The Bible says he was moving with the crowds. 
Don't overlook that. Seems like Jesus and the Holy Spirit and the power of God is often moving and being demonstrated in the crowds. So we're waiting on the right opportunity. And this is this woman's story. It's obvious that she would have done anything to get her problem resolved. I'm not sure I'm as diligent as this woman. How about you? I want to tell you, a few weeks ago, I broke a crown in my mouth and it didn't hurt. So it's been three weeks and I haven't resolved it. Now, I do have an appointment coming, but I didn't resolve it because it didn't create pain in my life. Perhaps my motivation to resolve my problems is predicated on pain. Pain maybe will push me to pursue a solution. Perhaps my resistance to seeking a solution is predicated on pride uh, because I tell myself I can deal with it. I can handle it. I don't need to fix it. I don't need to go to the doctor. I don't need to go to church. I don't need to pray. How about you? Do you wait until you're at a point of pain before you start seeking the Lord? Or does your pride prevent you from seeking the Lord? Perhaps those are one in the same. Maybe not. But what's your excuse? What keeps you from pushing into Jesus? What keeps you from pushing in prayer? What pushes you from travailing in times of need? What pushes you? What prevents you? What keeps you? I have found that the greatest hope is often born in seasons of greatest hopelessness. Why? Because we often delay. We often wait until it's at our worst before we cry out to Jesus. This woman dealt with this issue for 12 years. Not to say she wouldn't have tried Jesus at year one, but the human pattern seems to be, let me just try everything and prayer is my last resort. My last resort. No, let me just tell you today, prayer is not your last resort. It's not folding your arms and saying, well, we've done all we can do. I guess we can pray. No, my friend, prayer is not your last resort. It's your first resolve. There is no greater action than bringing your petitions and your requests into the throne room of the living God. But the problem is, I don't think we believe that. So I think God sometimes lets us wander in our wilderness. He lets us go through seasons on our own, trying this and trying that. Why? I think this is how we learn to value the hope that God brings. Hope's available. Question is, will you reach out for it? The next thing that I understood as I read this, it jumped out at me. Do you realize your faith must be accompanied with expectation? Do you expect to receive from God? How often I have no expectation? How often um, I'm satisfied to live a life of unanswered prayers because the cost of expecting and pursuing God with my cause, it might require more from me than just sitting back and trusting in God's sovereignty. And we can trust in God's sovereignty. But God wants you to come to him with expectation. God wants you to come to him with hope. I wonder, are you bold enough to approach God with a specific need and a specific request? Or maybe I'm just too lazy and I throw it my caution at the wind and I say, so be it if the Lord wills. Friend, 
It is God's will to use you, to move in your life, to see lives saved, changed, transformed, radically empowered. Perhaps it's not us waiting on God to move. Perhaps God is waiting on you to move. I wonder, will you move with expectation? Hebrews 11:6 6 says, and without faith, it's impossible to please God because anyone who approaches him must believe that he exists and that it rewards those who earnestly seek him. I'm letting life happen to me instead of stepping out and pioneering. I'm living safe. You know, that's not the right way to live. Too many of us would say we're just letting life happen uh, instead of stepping out and pioneering anything. We just, we just live safely. But you know what else we discover in Hebrews 11? We discover the patriarchs of the faith and their moments of greatness. Oh, many of them lived great lives, but there was a singular moment that is identified throughout Hebrews 11 that propelled them into the halls of greatness that identify them as men and women of great faith. It was just a singular moment where they believed God and often the belief in God led them to some type of action. See, you don't know when you're going to stumble through your Hebrews 11 moment. You don't know what might be your moment. Maybe you've been living a life of faith. Maybe you've been living a life of power. But the truth is you don't know which moment is going to be your history-making moment. You don't know which moment is going to resonate and resound. And that's going to be the moment where God says, and right there, that was credited to them as righteousness. For you, it's initially placing your faith in Jesus. But the second step is living the life of someone who has placed their faith in Jesus. Are you living the life of someone who has placed their faith in Jesus? If you have, you must live a life of expectation. So it's a life where we recognize Jesus is our solution, but it's also recognizing what your need is. In other words, you can know your source for everything, it's like the proverbial Sunday school answer. You can just say, God, God, God. That's the answer to two at all very often. But you need to know the dilemma as well because this is how faith is enacted. The biblical pattern is God challenging people to not simply identify him as the source or the solution, but to take a moment and identify the need. This is why you'll hear Jesus say, what is it that you want? What is it that you want? This woman had enough time. She deeply and intimately knew her need. But you see the mother with the demonized child in Matthew 15 coming to Jesus, the Syrophoenician woman saying, Lord, Lord, even the dogs get the crumbs off the table. I know my need. What is it that you want? Jesus says, what is it that you want? Or what about the lame beggar in front of the gate called beautiful in Acts chapter three, the apostles say, look at us. Do you want to get better? What is it that you want? I want to ask you, what is it that you want from Jesus? Are you living a mundane life without any specifics? Or do you have the clarity to say, God, I want to live a life that is empowered. I want to live a life of answered prayer. I want to live a life of the supernatural. I want to live the kind of life that is enacted, filled with power. What is it that you want? Once you identify what you want, you must have the motivation to pursue that which you want. Are you motivated? See, when you're complacent and you know it, but you're not motivated to move past complacency, you might have a problem. The question is, how do I get moving? How do I get motivated? How do I get unstuck? Well, a lot of most motivational speakers have really lived and thrived in this area. Uh, they realize that the 
seems to be the default position of many people is a lack of motivation and a lack of action. And that attitude has been brought into the church. But the problem is the church should not have motivational speakers. Oh, the pastor can be motivational. I understand that. But when the motivation outweighs the spirituality, then all you're left with is a motivational speaker. And God has not called me to be a motivational speaker. He has called me to be a minister of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know why? Because I cannot be the source of another person's passion. Your passion must come from another source. Therefore, the question becomes, where do we get the motivation? Your proximity to Jesus and his word will determine your passion. Luke 24, 32, Jesus on the road, walking next to some disciples. They didn't recognize him. They said, did our hearts not burn with us while he talked with us on the way and while he opened to us the scriptures? You see, your proximity to Jesus and his word is what's going to motivate you. It's what's going to move you. The problem is, is we're not positioning ourselves in the places where Jesus is. We're positioning ourselves in front of Netflix and social media. And that's very rarely the places where you're going to find him. Where are you going to find Jesus? You're going to find him in community. You're going to find him in the household of faith around others that are also seeking. Or perhaps in your quiet place when you etch out the time to get on your knees and get on your face and say, Lord Jesus, I need you. I need your presence in my life. Can you determine your proximity? That would be my next question. Because in this story, they came, Jesus came to them. Oh, but Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, Jesus says, come to me, all who are willing. That word come is a verb. It's a command. It demonstrates the imperative of the journey. Another journey towards me journey with me all oh, the two disciples on the road next to jesus after his resurrection how they journeyed with him coming to jesus is a journey it may take a little while before you've sensed the fires of revival and motivation burning in your life but i want you to know that this woman she journeyed she had to go from point a to point z moving pressing, pushing to take hold of the garment, but she did it because she was desperate. Desperation will determine your drive. We learned this from blind Bartimaeus in Luke 18, a blind man who threw off his cloak and cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy. Demonstrates desperation and responds to the invitation of Jesus once again to come come how did he come he abandoned himself and he cried out how are you going to get to jesus you're going to have to abandon yourself and begin to cry out when's the last time you cried out you know why because god rarely pours into a vessel that's already full you have to begin to empty yourself of the things that occupy your life in order to be occupied by the spirit of the living god in order to be occupied by the only one who can truly bring you life and hope if your solution is actually a greater passion for jesus and for his word and his presence then the question is can you muster enough strength to step out and walk towards him i mean i want to state that again think of your dilemma Think of the challenge. Think of what you're facing in life. If it's a possibility that Jesus is actually the answer, then I wonder, what are you willing to do to go after him? It's going to require risk. This woman took a risk at the chance, the possibility 
of Jesus being able to do something? What was her risk? Well, some of you may be aware that due to the nature of her issue, that she would have been considered unclean and she would have needed to remain separate from community. So she risked humiliation, disappointment, rejection, deep loss at the chance of Jesus being her answer. I wonder today, what are you willing to risk? You know, you're, you're, what you're willing to risk is always uh, determined by your perception of possibility. How many people have lost money in the stock market because they perceived a chance of winning? How many times gamblers have been willing to gamble away their life at the chance? How many people have wasted money on scratch-off tickets at the chance? People often are willing to gamble at the chance. I want to ask you, how bad do you want to get free? How badly do you want to see people saved or delivered or healed? Because I've got good news for you. You're never taking a chance. It's never a gamble when you try Jesus. See, she didn't know this, but we know this, that hope never disappoints, that Jesus is the answer and he is the source. Are you willing to push through to persevere for more than a chance? Jesus is more than a chance. And his invitation to you is come. I want to pray for you today that you would have the boldness and the courage to in fact do that. If you're lacking motivation in your life, if you've become comfortable in your uncomfortableness, if you've become comfortable in your complacency, I'm going to pray today that the Holy Spirit begins to ignite a passion and a fire in you that you too would step out of the boat, that you also would push through the crowd, that you too would step into your Hebrews moment of faith and boldness, that your faith would be accompanied with works because faith without works is dead. God is calling you to move. Let's pray right now. Would you join me? Father, in Jesus' name, call me to action. Call me to move. Father, I have made it through some seasons and it's left me weak, empty, and complacent. But in this moment, I realize that if I'm going to take hold of my miracle, that I first, I understand that reaching out to you is never a chance. But I also recognize I'm going to have to push. I'm going to have to press. I'm going to have to fight. And Lord, I pray that you would give me the strength, the courage, and the motivation to do just that for your glory, for your honor, and for your awesome name's sake. I pray this in the matchless name of Christ Jesus, the strong son of God. Thank you for spending some time with me. I pray you have a victorious week. I pray that you're moved and motivated to shake off the complacency, that you also would want it badly, and that God would answer you and meet you in your crowd. God bless you. Thank you for joining us. If today's message encouraged you to keep running the race, we invite you to share this message with others. You can join Pastor Aaron weekly at Garden City Church in person or online. Till next time, keep pressing on.